Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm former double agent and Newsweek editor-at-large, Navit Jamali. And you're listening to Declassified, brought to you by Newsweek. Declassified is an exploration of what it means to be secure and of the people all over the world who are quietly working to keep us safe. In my career in the intelligence community, I served as a double agent and as an intelligence officer. My goal is to help explain the things that you can see, the proverbial iceberg above the waterline, and let you know what is below it. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. On the night of September 4th, 1942, the USS Gregory was patrolling the South Pacific, just off the Solomon Islands. The Gregory and the U.S. Little, her sister ship, came under fire by Japanese destroyers in the middle of the night. Within minutes, the Gregory was sinking. Only a handful of sailors were uninjured, and of those sailors, it was one in particular who became enshrined in naval history as a hero. 22-year-old Charles French was a mess attendant. As a black man, it was one of the only positions available to him in the Navy. At the time, black and white people weren't even permitted to swim together. But it was Charles French who jumped into shark-infested waters and began to swim around, gathering his injured shipmates onto a raft. And then he tied a rope around his waist, got back in the water, and dragged the raft, with 15 sailors on it, through the dark ocean until they were rescued at sunrise. In May of 2022, Petty Officer French was honored posthumously with a Navy and Marine Corps Medal for Heroism, and with a Naval Aviation School's command training pool in San Diego that now bears his name. It's an amazing story of bravery, of brotherhood, of a changing military that's hard to oversell. And Rear Admiral Charles Brown, the Navy's Chief of Information, agrees. And he tells a lot of amazing stories as part of his work. He joined us to talk about not only Petty Officer French's new namesake, but also the challenges of his work bridging the gap between the military community and the wild west of social media. So let's start with 
petty officer French. Now, it's a remarkable story of, of a man who really, uh, I mean, he swam for two hours, towing the line, saving his shipmates. Um, he was also a black sailor living in a, uh, you know, a time in the Second World War where the, what sailors could do was limited. And um, it, it's fascinating to me that the Navy is honoring him and continue to honor him. Uh, but the burning question I had, besides you know, his heroism, which is, of course, without doubt, why is it important that the Navy did this now? Why is it important that they continue the sort of the heritage of, you know, in this case, naming a, a pool? Uh, why is it important? What, what's the relevance here for, for continuing on something to recognize something that happened, you know, in the Second World War? Well, I, I'd say, Naveed, you know, the short answer is it, it is a part of our heritage. It's a part of who we are. Um, you know, the, the truth is, uh, the unfortunate truth is, there's a lot of stories out there that we'll never know. Uh, stories of heroism and bravery, um, you know, like Petty Officer French, that um, that we just, um, you know, it, it's lost to history, uh, many of those stories. And so when we have the opportunity to properly recognize someone like Petty Officer French, who, uh, you know, contemporaneously at the time uh, did receive some recognition, some limited recognition, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, was due more uh, recognition. When we have the opportunity to to give him the recognition that he's due and, and others, others like him, uh, it's important we do it. We have to honor our past. Uh, it is uh, certainly something that reflects our core values uh, then in World War II, uh, honor, courage, and commitment, and, and the core values that, that our sailors still have today. And so uh, nothing could be more important, honestly, Naveed, than, than uh, holding up uh, an example like Petty Officer French, who uh, despite incredible odds and, and circumstances, uh, really uh, shined in that moment, uh, put his shipmates before himself, um, you know, at danger to himself, and, um, and really uh, serves as an, example, as an example to all of us today of, uh, of what the Navy is about. And, you know, it, it strikes me that we're, we're talking about heroism that occurred in the Second World War that occurred um, in many cases, you know, uh, well before many of perhaps the parents of people who are joining the Navy today were even born. Uh, why is, you know, you talk about heritage and clearly it's important to balance uh, the history of the Navy and history of the military and history of the United States. But we also acknowledge, you know, significant changes. We have uh, a black secretary of defense. We have things that clearly when Petty Officer uh, French was in the service have changed dramatically. How do you see the, the Navy balancing this? And, and in terms of messaging to those who are looking to join to the, the new crop of sailors who are coming in and to the general public, what is the balance between heritage and progress? Wow. Well, I, I think uh, heritage should be an inherent an inherent part of progress. Uh, you know, we we certainly always want to move forward. And I think the recognition of Petty Officer French, who, you know, at the time as a as a Black American was uh, um, was discriminated against. I mean, it was part of uh, everyday life in America. Uh, you know, where segregation was a fact. You know, including in the military. And so Petty Officer French was limited in what jobs he could have and in how he could serve his country, uh, just like uh, his, his fellow Black Americans were during World War II and in, until, um, you know, Truman um, desegregated the military in 1947. 
uh, you know, that is, that is part of who we, uh, who we were, um, but we're always improving and getting better both as a country and certainly as a Navy. And so uh, that is what progress is about. And, and sometimes that progress allows us to look back at our history and, um, and identify, uh, you know, people who were not uh, recognized uh, to the extent that they should have been for, for uh, acts of heroism and bravery. And fast forwarding to, to the present day, you know, when I think about uh, French and I think about um, our adversaries, the thing that always strikes me is our adversaries, uh, the makeup of their military is homogeneous, right? The Chinese, the Iranians, certainly the Russians. We don't have that. We have diversity. And, you know, I think, I wonder, I wonder what, what do you think our adversaries, when they see us celebrating um you know, someone who came from a minority class or from, you know, what do you think that they take that as? Because clearly that's, you know, that is not something that they do. And, and look, of course, this is important to acknowledge the bravery and the heritage. But, you know, for adversaries, what do you think they, they look at and see with this? What, what do they take away from it? You know, that's a good question, Navid. I, I don't know that when we, uh, when we make decisions based on what's morally right, what we see as right, um, I don't know that it, uh, you know, go, it goes into the calculus uh, all the time, um, you know, what our adversaries may or may not take away from it. What, I, what we know is that more diverse teams are more successful. Uh, frankly, we had a, a more div- diverse uh, military in, during World War II than many of our adversaries did. Um, and, and throughout our country's history, we've had diversity. We have uh, improved upon that diversity and how we um, practice that diversity throughout our country's history, uh, but that diversity has been a part of our nation since its founding. And so, um, you know, as we become a more perfect union, um, and you know, our diversity leads to greater success, and that's certainly uh, true in the military. Our adversaries, you know, I, I would hope would always take the message uh, that um, you know today's not the day to uh, to test our military. Um, and, you know, the heroism that we have, you know, in every rank, in every race, in every gender, and, um, you know, in every ethnicity uh, that's present in in the U.S. military and certainly in the U.S. Navy only makes us stronger. Well, I mean, <laughs> the bravery that, that Petty Officer Friend showed, you know, probably in his pinky, probably I would like to think would give the Iranians, the Chinese and Russians pause, but uh, clearly uh, it was forefront. You, I think when you were at the ceremony, you met some of the descendants from Petty Officer French as well as some of the people that were family of the sailors. Uh, I did. So uh, we had uh, family of uh, Petty Officer French, um, you know, his, uh, his extended family nephews and, and their, uh, children and grandchildren uh, were were with us. Um, it was really moving to have the opportunity to meet them. Clearly, they have known this story, uh, and they have held fast uh, in their belief that Petty Officer French was um, was due greater recognition for his acts. And and um, I was just so uh, proud and honored to have uh, an opportunity uh, to meet them, to shake their hands, and to. Uh, to help them celebrate, uh, you know, Petty Officer French and, and all that he represents. Uh, you know, they were certainly, um, you know, I think happy to have the, the recognition there. You know, the event was the renaming of a rescue swimmer training 
pool there in San Diego, which is where Petty Officer French was laid to rest uh, at Fort Rosecrans there. And uh, and so that, that training pool is used for sailors who serve aboard Navy ships today, uh, who uh, serve as rescue swimmers uh, in, in case of an emergency uh, or in case of need to rescue someone from the water. Um, and all, the, all of those same sailors who train in San Diego uh, will now train in a pool that bears uh, Petty Officer Charles French's name. Um, I think that means a lot to the family. And, uh, um, you know, again, it meant a lot to me just to be able to share that with them. It sounds like an incredibly fitting uh, tribute to Petty Officer French. And you talk about uh, the young sailors were going to go through that pool and through that school. And, you know, they'll learn clearly the, the history behind it. But this brings me to a, to a question about the next generation for you. You know, you're, you're uh, in the information business. Um, and when I see a lot of the, you know, young members of the military, I'm always impressed, of course, but also I'm a dinosaur here. I remember when, you know, when I first got email, like that was a big deal and using AOL, you know, uh, dial up. The times have changed. You know, a lot of the military is either on various social media platforms. Um, I feel like the younger generation is even far more, you know, civically active than I was at their age, frankly. What what do you say to, you know, to someone who and it seems like the military has has sort of shifted in terms of its approach to, to social media and it's it's much more of an outreach. But what do you say to to those who who question whether, you know, the, the military, you know, that you need to reach younger generations by using these platforms? Is there, you know, is there concern? Is there, is this a strategy moving forward? Uh, Naveed, I'll, I'll tell you the, the first um, concern I have with your question is you describing yourself as a dinosaur. I don't know what that makes me, um, whatever it was that came before the dinosaurs. So uh, I, I do think, um, you know, social media is just a, a part of the fabric of our life. It's how we communicate with each other. Um, so, you know, going back to, uh, the early 1900s and and the advent of uh, of radio um, and and you know public communication using um, radio and then you know into to film uh, in between the wars um, and and television um, you know all throughout that the military and, and I'm especially proud of the Navy's history in using those uh, those media to communicate with the public uh, you know I think social media is just you know kind of the next evolution of that and. Uh, it's certainly something that we need to understand, uh, you know, better, you know, as, as it evolves and it evolves very quickly, you know, we, our, our understanding of it has to evolve, but, you know, it's just simply part of, uh, part of our life and part of uh, our society, you know, and, and we have to acknowledge that. Um, that said, there are uh, important uh, lessons we need to learn and relearn about the use of social media, you know, in our kind of competitive communication environment. When I talk about the competitive communication environment, I'm not just talking about competing with, you know, other services recruits or, or um, you know, competing at the box office with the uh, top, top Gun blowing everyone away uh, this weekend. Um, you know, uh, I'm talking about the competition we face from some of those potential adversaries. And uh, there's an aspect of social media uh, that allows the proliferation of things like disinformation and misinformation, um, you know, which has always been a part of the public communication sphere that we operate in. But uh, but those uh, those technologies allow for the uh, for 
a misinformation, disinformation to proliferate just much more quickly and more broadly. And so we need to understand that and, and recognize that there's an element uh, of, um, of force protection, uh, you know, that goes along with social media. And a lot of people, when you think about, you know, how we play defense on social media, we think about operational security and, and guarding what information we share. And that's certainly important. I mean, we, we always want to make sure that our, our sailors and our families and, and our, you know, our organizations aren't sharing information that can, you know, put our people at risk or, or put our operations at risk. Um, but also, you know, beyond that, there's also the idea of the information that our, our sailors consume and our, our organizations consume, you know, and we've seen that uh, misinformation and disinformation, you know, can be targeted at, uh, at our people, and we need to make sure we're, you know, providing them um, the training and things like media literacy and social media literacy, where they can, uh, you know, protect themselves uh, and protect each other. Uh, from being, um, you know, subject to misinformation and disinformation. Wow. I mean, that's, it's so prophetic and there's a lot to unpack there. You know, to me, it, it strikes me when I think about, you're right, disinformation, misinformation, those are always the the big ones that people want to talk about, but there's a positive, as you've said to this, right? Uh, I, I, I'm shocked. Or I shouldn't say shocked. I'm always pleasantly surprised how, and we actually did some reporting on this on some of the, you know, the militaries. <laughs> I think we included you. Some of the, some of the um, funnier and, and more uh, media savvy, social media savvy, uh, DoD Twitter accounts. And it, it's, it sounds like, you know, for a lot of people who are used to this world, it sounds like, a, well, duh, why wouldn't they be on Twitter or, or Snapchat? You know, that, that's where that's where people are. So why wouldn't you go there? Um, but it is a pretty big step, I think, right? And it is an acknowledgement. While the messaging hasn't changed, the way that we communicate has, right? So when we talk about, for you to get out messaging, I mean, there's clearly, uh, I've seen numerous, I can only imagine how many you've written uh, press releases. What is the difference? And, and the ability to reach people, not just from a disinformation or to counter disinformation, but just to let the average American citizen know what the Navy is doing or to speak to you know, the average citizen. Is there, or, or not even just the American citizen, right? Because this is, this is a global thing. What is the right way? I mean, and is there, uh, can you explain a little bit about the power here of sort of social media, of video, of, of things of that nature for the DOD and, and for the Navy specifically in terms of, you know, getting Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what it's all about, Navid, is, is connecting the American people with their Navy. Uh, you know, the, the truth is that, you know, it, it's not just about reaching people who we're trying to recruit. Uh, you know, it's about uh, making sure that uh, the American people who, you know, we represent, um, who invest in our Navy, who, um, you know, deserve the, the protection and the understanding of, you know, what a Navy's value is to the country, uh, that, that those, uh, those American folks are, are connected to, uh, to their Navy. Um, you know, we have this technology that allows our sailors who, you know, in the past, when we set, set to sea and, and went overseas over the horizon, um, it was very hard for us to share uh, what we do every day with um, with people back home, and, and these technologies give us that that ability, and gives us a, a great ability to connect uh, connect people with their navy. Um, you know, people will ask, well, how many 
uh, you know, professional communicators, how many public communicators do we have in the Navy? The public affairs team in the Navy is relatively small, especially relative to the other services. Uh, there's only about uh, about 200 uh, PAOs, public affairs officers in the Navy, you know, in, a, in an organization that has about 330,000 people you know, on active duty in uniform. Uh, only 200 of them uh, whose job it is, uh, uh, you know, for public affairs dedicated. And then we have about a thousand mass communication specialists and enlisted sailors who, you know, take photos and write stories and, and uh, you know, post press releases and, and, you know, build websites and things like that. Still a relatively small number. Um, but when people ask me how many public communicators we have in the Navy, it's, it's 330,000. Every, every sailor wearing a uniform uh, communicates to the public in one way or another, whether they're active on social media or not. And most are, I mean, our, the average age of our sailors pretty young, you know, it's, it's, uh, early twenties. So, um, generally that they're, they're probably on social media, they're probably talking to their friends and family about what they do, you know, and social media gives them the platform to do it in a, in a global way. Um, you know, I want to empower those sailors, you know, in the right way to share information and to help, you know, connect Americans to what they do. You know, generally, you, when you go to a ship, when you visit a Navy ship at sea, uh, the thing that uh, always strikes people is, you know, it's not the, the aircraft moving across the flight deck. It's not the, the great big gray, you know, piece of metal moving through the sea. It's the people. You know, you talk to the people, you talk to these young men and women who have incredible responsibilities at a very young age. Uh, they're very proud of what they do and they want to share what they do uh, with the American people. And so, you know, I see my job and, and, you know, the public affairs officer, you know, team's job as helping to empower those sailors to share their story in a way that's meaningful, again, in a way that's safe and a way that doesn't compromise our operational security, of course, um, but in, in a way that um, uh, the American people get a better understanding of the value of a, of a Navy. Well, you know, if we bring it back to Petty Officer French, I can only imagine <laughs> just even, you know, theater commanders, all these speaking to the president took, you know, took days, if, 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 if that. Um, and now we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a very junior sailor being able to communicate back almost real time. And I think it's, it's changed the flow of, of the news cycle and how things are reported and how the expectation the public has on seeing things. So clearly, uh, I guess you would say, it's better to be here and be, you know, and as opposed to create to not to creating a void, right? So being in social media for the military, for the Navy uh, is important because it seems that as a society, that's what, that's what we expect, right? We expect to be able to see if something happens or just to learn what's going on. Where do you go? You go to social media f- to look at, you know, a Facebook page or, uh, you know, TikTok or Twitter, right? I mean, that, that seems the general expectation. So in a, in a basic sense, Admiral, is it, is it, is that expectation driving expectation by the public that this is how and look in many cases they circumvent you know traditional media they'll go right to you guys um on your social media presence is there is that an expectation that you guys are you know uh, addressing or moving to is that the sort of part of the gravitas of why you guys well, are i don't think it's it's just the navy or just the military i think any organization today you know understands that these conversations are happening uh whether um you are part of them or not and uh, generally, if you if you want to build a relationship uh, with with the American people in, in our in our case, again, you know, helping them to understand why they have a Navy, why they've invested in the Navy and and what value the Navy provides them, you know, what we are doing on their behalf, 
if we want to have that relationship, we have to be a part of those conversations. And, and so uh, the way to do that is to be where they are. You know, not all social media is created equal. Of course, there's, there's different, um, you know, approaches and different uh, kind of uh, uh, many cultures within each social, me- each social media platform about, you know, what the accepted uh, kind of protocols and norms and standards are. Um, uh, as you know, you know, in the U.S. government and U.S. military, you know, we have, um, we have restrictions against using, um, you know, a, a platform like TikTok, which is, um, you know, owned by a Chinese company, uh, which has uh, ties to the Chinese government. Um, you know, we have restrictions against using that. And, and I think that's part of the social media literacy conversation we need to have, um, you know, is understanding uh, the platforms that you're using, understanding the, the spaces that you are uh, and, and how these algorithms are, um, you know, affecting what you see and what you share. Um, you know, we certainly have those uh, uh, conversations uh, about, you know, in our, in our own homes, with our kids, with our, uh, with our family and friends, you know, uh, and, and you see those conversations in news coverage of social media, uh, you know, about, about how those uh, al- algorithms affect uh, content and, and the sharing of content. And so, um, you know, I, I always uh, try to make the point that when it comes to uh, TikTok, you know, I, I'm very wary of, uh, of using that and, and encouraging our sailors to use that uh, because of the ties uh, to the Chinese government. Um, you know, uh, the, um, the, the restrictions against using, you know, TikTok on, you know, government provided phones and things like that set aside the, the, the data collection concerns set aside. Um, I have concerns about um, you know, what, how an organization uh, sets up those algorithms to, uh, to kind of influence the content that's seen. You know, social media and social media literacy, it's an important thing. Not all social media platforms are created equal, right? Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, regardless whether they're in the military, regardless if they're even in the United States, they don't realize what happens with their data, what's happening with an app that they put on their phone, you know, what it, you know, what it could allow someone access to, so on and so forth. These are not things that um, I think the average user is concerned about. And I think, you know, you bring up a really interesting point that there is, look, there's always going to be a gravitas for, you know, people moving towards platforms that are becoming popular. And one of the dangers, of course, is that unintentionally, just by virtue of signing on to a particular platform, um, you could potentially be opening yourself up to uh, collection, right? I mean, to, to com- I mean, I want to say compromise, but you know, you could be sharing information with you with a potential adversary, unbeknownst to you. Uh, is this okay? So, how do we balance with young people before they come into the military? Clearly, many of them are going to be on all sorts of social media platforms. They come into the military. What is the expectation of? Hey, this is part of your your life. This is part of how you communicate with people. What is the balance there with again, you know, security and just um, just security concerns? Yeah, I, I really think Navi, it's it's about education, you know, and it's about making sure that uh, people understand the the tools that they're using and 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 how the information they share may be used. Um, you know, there is certainly you know it's not li- limited to social media. It's 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 really any uh, kind of data you share. You have to. Be aware that once you share it, you lose control over that, and um, you know it may be shared further without your knowledge. And so, 
uh, understanding that and being conscious of it is is uh, is really the key to uh, I think operating securely and and uh, uh, you know uh, kind of uh, setting up those those boundaries that that you want to uh, with your data with the with the content you share I mean heck with with the with the information you share I mean something as simple as you know, telling sailors, hey, when you're when you're going on vacation, you know, you don't necessarily want to advertise that on social media that you're going to be away from your home, not because it's some you know great operational security threat, but because you don't want anyone you know breaking in and robbing you when you're when you're not home. You know, you don't want to tip people off uh, that you're not going to be there to to watch your stuff. I mean, that's that's something that doesn't just apply to the military. That's kind of common sense, and um, having those kind of conversations uh, with. Uh, with sailors uh, and uh, with the, the people who are um, uh, who are you know representing the, the Navy on, on social media accounts is really important. Thanks once again to Rear Admiral Charles Brown. He'll be retiring later this summer, so we thank him for his service and wish him well and all the best on his next adventure. And a reminder: if you like Declassified, you should check out my latest project with Newsweek. It's called Unconventional, and the first episode is an amazing exploration of what exactly military aircraft are doing when they fly in American skies. It's nighttime here on the flight line, yet the work continues on, and this space is a 24-hour operation. There are people here that are working late into the night to make sure that these helicopters can fly and fly safe. Even though we're not in a combat zone, they treat every fright like there is that level of intensity. You got blood all over here. Oh, my nose just started bleeding up in the middle of us It's the concussion of the, the 50 cal. I totally get it. Take flight with us and find Unconventional now at youtube.com slash Newsweek. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.